Hi, this is Rick Allen. And I'm Leilani Albano. On Digital Village, we're bringing you stories about the Internet and technology and how they're shaping culture, along with every other aspect of our lives. The digital revolution is indeed awe-inspiring, but can also be used for nefarious purposes. We're here to help prevent some of those abuses. You can hear us archived on kpfk.org. And digitalvillage.org. So, on with the show. I'm speaking with Dan Mervish. He's a director, screenwriter, producer, and author. He has a new feature, 18 and a half. It's a 70s Watergate thriller, black comedy. Just hit the festival circuit and already is an award winner. Um, prior to that, Dan directed the award-winning, critically acclaimed feature, Bernard and Huey, scripted by Oscar Pulitzer Prize winner Jules Pfeiffer and starring Oscar winners, and uh, that played to over uh, 30 film festivals on five continents, had major uh, nationwide U.S. Uh, theatrical release, sold over, sold to over 49 countries, won several festival and end-of-the-year awards and nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay. Dan is the author of the best-selling nonfiction book, The Cheerful, Subversive's Guide to Independent Filmmaking, from Focal Press Rutledge. Uh, the post-pandemic second edition uh, started selling on July 6th, 2021, and hit number one on Amazon's new releases chart. His film Between Us, an award-winning feature starring Julia Stiles and Tay Diggs, played in 23 festivals in seven countries, got a 50-plus city theatrical release in the U.S., and sold to 144 countries, and that's uh, plus screening on Netflix, Showtime stars, and all the digital outlets. Dan was mentioned by Robert Altman on his first film, Omaha the Movie, which led him to co-found the upstart Slamdance Film Festival. His film, Open House, prompted the Academy Awards to controversially rewrite the rules on the Best Original Musical category. Dan also co-wrote his best-selling, critically acclaimed novel, I am Martin Eisenstadt, based on the fake McCain advisor who took credit for Sarah Palin not knowing Africa was a continent. He's also a former speechwriter for U.S. Senator Tom Harkin. He has a master's degree from USC Film School, is a member of the Directors Guild of America, and has guest lectured in more than 45 film schools and universities. Okay, that time's up, Dan. Well, there you go. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Okay. Uh, uh, your latest film is, can I call it satirical? Uh, you can. Yeah, people seem to be laughing, so I think that makes it okay to call it satirical. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, you know, all that you've, you've accomplished so much, Dan, and you've been a friend of the show since uh, almost our beginning here in Digital Village. So the only reason I'm having you on is uh, I wonder what you think of the film Don't Look Up. Oh, right. Uh, so, yeah, I saw that, and um, I, I, I liked it. I thought it was good. I mean, I think the interesting thing for me was just, you know, that they, um, uh, what's his name, Adam McKay, wrote it as, as an allegory for climate change, but it, it, it sort of turns into more of an allegory for, for how things are going with, uh, with COVID. Exactly. Uh, and, uh, and um, you know, sort of turned into more of that than climate change. But um, but I, there's great performances in it, and it's funny and and depressing all at the same time. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good review. I uh, I said that about uh, the COVID uh, aspect also. Okay, yeah. uh, we we've had you on the show um, in the past to talk about the Slam Dance Film Festival. Um, so my next question is, what can ten bucks get you these days? Well, that's a great question, and I'm glad you asked that. Ten bucks gets you in uh, a ticket to see every Slam Dance film this year. Um, so. Uh, as you may have heard, and listeners may have heard, uh, Sundance is no longer, you know, canceled their live screenings in Park City, and, and uh, just at the beginning of last week, and that, but Slamdance had actually made that decision a couple weeks earlier, and um, and so for the second year in a row, we're all virtual um, with our screenings, but it's like the cheapest film festival you're ever going to see because uh, ten dollars can get you, you know. Uh, 28 features and 79 short films, and um, and you can watch them online. Um, pretty much, however, people watch things online these days. So, which is a pretty amazing way, and you don't even have to get up off your couch. Uh, I think it's available anywhere in the U.S. and um, and possibly in, and I think most of the films internationally as well. Um, some some have to get geo blocked, but uh, but basically, you don't even have to drive to Park City. You don't get to drive. You can if you want, you know. <laughs> but um, it ain't there's there. A lot of empty, there's a lot of empty condos in Park City right now. So yeah. feel free to go there, go skiing in the day, and then get COVID in the evening, and then, and then watch, <laughs> uh, you know, watch Slam Dance movies at night. Right. Well, and uh, just, just to remind people, uh, Slam Dance is, uh, takes place a snowball's throw away from Sundance at, at, during the same time. Uh, yeah, although our, the the dates are a little bit shifted because of this whole online thing. So we, uh, I think Sundance is maybe starting this week and we're starting next week. It's something like that. Um, has to, yeah, I think we're now starting the 27th. Yeah, the 27th yeah, through January the 27th. 6th of February, right. Yeah, yeah. When when everyone went online, it, it, it kind of shifted things around a little bit just to give us all time to get organized. But um but it's pretty close. And now you can actually, in some ways, it makes it easier. You can watch Sundance films one week and then watch Slamdance films the next week. It's uh, the digital version of, of walking up the hill, which is what people have to do in Park City. Right. When we're all live. Right. Well, now the festival, Slamdance, uh, is, it's, this is its 28th edition. 26 of them were live and and in a hot tub. Um, yeah. <laughs> that that won't be happening this year. But um, it, it's been a success, Dan. Now, what what was it that prompted uh, you and, and your fellows uh, to actually uh, found uh, Slamdance uh, in the era of Sundance Film Festival? So this was, well, our first edition was January 95. And, and if you remember back in the mid-90s, that was kind of around... At the same time that Hollywood was kind of subsuming the independent world, so that it was around that time that Miramax became part of Disney, that Fine Line became part of Warner Brothers, that Fox was launching Fox Searchlight. Mm-hmm. All that was kind of swirling around in the mid-'90s, and, and, and our friends at Sundance, they jumped on that train. They jumped on the Hollywood train and started all of a sudden taking films by second-time directors and films by with bigger budgets and films with bigger stars and films that already had distribution. And, you know, Harvey could call them up and say, hey, I want a film, you know, playing at the festival, and they would do it. 
And, and simultaneously, though, there you know the, the, all the successful stories out of Sundance from the early '90s and, and late '80s. You know, uh, Steven Soderbergh and, and Robert Rodriguez and Richard Linklater. You know, those guys had, had really influenced the whole, uh, uh, kind of a second generation of independent filmmakers like myself and and a lot of other people. And so there were a lot more people making independent films uh, around the country. Um, and this is still in the era when everyone was pretty much doing it on film, so it was expensive. But right. um, And then Sundance kind of left behind that, that, that niche of the new round of first-time filmmakers like myself. And so, but simultaneously, the, the industry was still very much mired in, in kind of Sundance or bust. So, you know, I had distributors tell me point blank, oh, we love your film, we'll pick it up for distribution. It, oh, if it gets into Sundance. If it doesn't, forget it. And simultaneously, there also weren't, that, there weren't as many festivals at the time. So, um, you know, so it was around the same time that uh, that we started, Slamdance started. Uh, we, we had heard of a couple renegade filmmakers a year before, including Trey Parker and Matt Stone, mm-hmm. Um uh, in '94, had a showed their first film um, in a hotel room across the street from Sundance, and we'd heard about guys like that and, and people like James Marandino who had done his own screening, and the Film Crash guys out of New York had done some stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we took that idea and we said, well, why don't we do our own renegade screenings? But why don't we sort of combine efforts with now this whole big group of filmmakers that were kind of left behind? And so we we started in January '95 with a, a dozen features and a dozen shorts. And we came up with the name Slam Dance because we thought it'd look good on a T-shirt. Still does, and um, and we just showed up uh, literally thirty feet down the hall from Park from uh, Sundance, and uh, much to their chagrin. <laughs> yes, and in those uh, twenty uh, some years, a lot of actors and directors have uh, uh, turned into stars uh, because yeah. uh, because of of uh, your festival. Uh, you want to name drop a few, Dan? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we. Yeah. Because Slamdance is, you know, kind of mantra at least for our narratives, uh, or at least for our competition films. They have to be first-time directors and with limited budgets and with no distribution. So because of that, we've shown the first films of uh, people like Bong Joon Ho, uh, Christopher Nolan, the Russo brothers, Ryan Johnson, um, the late Lynn Shelton, Lena Dunham. Um, uh, Gina Prince Bidewood, um, the Safdie brothers, the Russo brothers. Did I mention the Russo brothers? Yeah, but that's okay uh, Sean, because I want to talk yeah, about Sean them later. Baker, uh, just to name a few, you know. Right. And and there's you know hundreds, thousands more. Um, you know, and obviously a lot of those people have gone on to um, pretty amazing careers. Uh, Paranormal Activity was this land that film that, that yeah. launched a billion dollar franchise. Um, that's right. So. And, uh, and, this and, year, and what's interesting but, is a lot of these people have then stayed involved with the festival as programmers in yes. subsequent years. They didn't just like show the film and leave. They would come back and, and, and you know, the Russo brothers were programmers for three years and now sponsor a prize at Slamdance. And, you know, they a lot of these folks have, have really stayed involved one way or another. Yeah, the uh, AGBO Fellowship, is uh, is mm-hmm. that what you're talking about with, uh, with, yeah. uh, Joe, with Joe and Anthony? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So they give, like, $25,000 to a, a Slamdance filmmaker every year and then, and then kind of help shepherd their, their next film, so, which is uh, really pretty amazing. Right. And and it's gone. <laughs> you started off with 12. This year, uh, this year the festival received 8,168 total submissions, of which 1,579 were feature features, narrative features, doc mm-hmm. features, episodic. Uh, they're all eligible for uh, audience awards and breakouts. 
Yeah, so that's the breakouts is a section for non-first-time filmmakers. Cause oh. After a while, we realized we had our own alumni filmmakers, and we wanted to, to have a showcase for, for some of them. Um, so that's not a that's kind of our out of competition section. I, I um, see. But yeah, we have some great films but, in there. But you can get you can uh, uh, but uh, filmmakers can still get jury awards for narrative shorts, doc shorts, animation shorts, mm-hmm. experimental. Yeah. What's unstoppable, Dan? Uh, and unstoppable is a section for uh, either filmmakers or films about people with disabilities. Oh, good. Uh, um, right. Which you know, and that and that's actually an, a nice side benefit of having a virtual festival uh, or, or some festivals that are doing hybrid ones is that it gives a lot more accessibility, you know, to to audiences to watch films with, with subtitles, to watch them from, you know, wherever they are. And, you know, they don't have to come to Park City uh, physically right. to, to be there. Right. So, yeah. That That's a noble gesture, Dan. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that, you know, and that's not just us. I mean, a lot of film festivals, um, you know, that's been one of the, the nice added, you know, that's, that's one of the nice side effects of, of COVID has been that, you know, uh, you know, for a full year, every film festival was, was online pretty much, and then in the fall, there were a lot more that were hybrid, sort of half half live and 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 half virtual, and then, you know, then this winter. Omicron surge. There's a round of online festivals again, but um, but yeah, it's been it's been great for for accessibility for um, you know for a lot of films and now and it's kind of affected the way filmmakers like at the stage at which they work on subtitles and, and closed captioning. Um, it, it kind of encourages you to to do that much earlier in the process. Normally, you wouldn't do your closed captioning until after your festival run when you were getting ready for distribution. Um, if you even got distribution, now it's kind of incumbent on everyone to work on those, um, you know, just simultaneously with post production to get it ready for for festivals because so many festivals you you're, you're going to need them. Right. Okay. I have a uh, <laughs> what if ha- what if happy ever after is not guaranteed. Um, please tell me what blockchain fairy tales is about. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, it's this is a thing that our friend Lance Weiler, who's an indie filmmaker, but he's also a professor at Columbia University and does a lot of really wild, crazy things, uh, mm-hmm. like interactive, this and that. I, I can never quite understand exactly what he's doing and what it is, but this is something he's done with Columbia students and because he has like a media lab at Columbia. Ah. I'm not really entirely sure what it is, but it's a cool, it sounds cool. So um, we're doing it. It's like an interactive storytelling thing, right. and somehow it has something to do with blockchain. and <laughs> Blockchain <laughs> technology, it's all the rave. <laughs> all the kids are doing it. Yeah. yeah, the Bitcoin sucker. I mean, investors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, part of the fun of, of doing something like this is it's a way for people to go, hey, I wonder what that is. And exactly. Go and participate, and if it makes sense, great. And if it doesn't make sense, just have fun with it, you know. Yeah, uh, you have an article in Thank Variety, uh, in print, yep. and uh, it might be out. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's online too. It's now. online yeah. now too. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, into the dark ages. Uh, I love that. Um, you talk about uh, award contenders, but they still need uh, to uh, to keep their role as new talent launch, launch pads. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you elaborate on that, Dan? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. This came out uh, earlier in the week, and so it, it's really it's about how 
uh, in the fall especially, there's the big festivals uh, that we think of, um, Toronto, New York Film Festival, Telluride, Venice, and, and this year actually Cannes was almost in the fall because they had moved. And, and their focus is almost exclusively um, on like predicting what are the big awards-winning films. Right. Um, you know, that's kind of their metric for success is how many you know, Oscar Best Picture you know, nominees can we get at this festival? And they're very competitive with each other about which one's going to get the premieres and all that stuff. Um, all of which is fine. It's great for those films. Obviously, some wonderful films there. But all those films come to those festivals either with a distributor in place or a foreign sales company in place or with big stars and, and big budgets. Meanwhile, they kind of forget about the real independent films that, that don't have distribution that are looking to be discovered. Um, uh, and those, the festivals that do that are obviously slam dance, um, Sundance to a certain degree. I mean, obviously some, a lot of films do come in there already with distribution, but they still do show some that don't. Yeah. Um, South by Southwest and Tribeca. But the problem is that that calendar has gotten really squished. So the Sundance slam dance is January, South by is in March, and, and Tribeca is usually in April. And at least in North America, those are the only real festivals that the industry, which is to say distributors and the press, agents, whatever, um, those are the only ones where they're paying any attention to new films. And so you have this eight-month gap between Tribeca and then Sundance where all the only big festivals that the press pay attention to are these awards-centered festivals. Um, and so consequently, there's eight months where it's really difficult if you're an indie filmmaker to get discovered and to get distribution, to find distribution. And so what the, uh, what the article kind of posits is that, you know, there really needs to be a shakeup in this calendar, and especially with COVID. Uh, and what's interesting is I wrote that article like a month and a half ago. I wrote it before Sundance and Slamdance went online, but it even proves the point even more, because what happens is you wind up getting like eight months where people are, filmmakers are like, I'm not going to go to any other festival, I'm going to wait, and I'm going to wait until Sunday, that's right. going to be our big time to show in front of a big audience at the Eccles or at the screening, mm-hmm. and then sure enough, you know, Sundance is scheduled during three weeks after New Year's, and even in a non-COVID year, tons of people get sick, so, yeah. um, so all those filmmakers that were hoping to have a real audience see their film at, at Slamdance and Sundance in, in a theater, um, don't even get that chance. So it, it's really incumbent upon the whole festival scene to really kind of spread this calendar out, um, you know, not, not just because of COVID, but just e- even pre-COVID. It, it just wasn't making sense. That's kind of what the article's about. Right, um, exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, this is Rick Allen, and I'm speaking with Dan Mervish, who has a, a, a list of things. F- foremost, uh, what started 28 years ago, who co-founder of Slam Dance, which was uh, uh, shown at the same time of Su- as Sundance, and he's also award-winning filmmaker, author. And uh, speaking of authors, Dan, uh, which uh, we we can uh, we can piggyback onto onto your article, um, the Amazon bestseller, uh, the Cheerful Subversives Guide to Independent Filmmaking, second edition that came out in July of this year, wherein you you uh, direct. <laughs> filmmakers on just how to do their craft correctly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a thank you uh, for plugging the book. Um, uh, yeah, it's really a kind of nuts and bolts uh, book 
on you know how to make an independent film from from you know screenwriting and financing and and uh, you know producing and directing and editing and film festivaling and careering and it's really kind of geared towards uh, anyone who's who kind of knows a little bit of the nuts and bolts about making film. It's not, it's not like a, a, a filmmaking 101 book. It's sort of that it's kind of the what happens next. Like, okay, you've made a short, now you want to make a feature. You've done one feature on your own, but now you want to get, you know, A-list actors in your micro-budget film. Right. Um, and it's kind of more, it goes into more of the psychology of like, okay, how do you deal with, the, with these actors on set? And how do you deal with a crew? And how do you find financing? Like, it's easy to say, oh, start a crowdfunding campaign, but who, where do you go? You know, who do you actually reach out to for money? And how do you set up an LLC? And how do you de- navigate these, these crazy festival waters, uh, which are, you know, as I said, sort of skewed towards people that already have distribution. So, okay, well, now what do you do? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and it also has a whole chapter on how we made 18 and a half in the middle of a global pandemic. So it's, it's one of the right. few filmmaking books that is actually like written during a global pandemic. Uh, right. Yeah. You know, and the, the additional safety protocols, but again, not, not just the nuts and bolts of it, but like, okay, what does it mean? Like if you're a director and you're wearing a mask and a shield, how do you, you know, whisper to an actor, you know, to, to change your performance and, you know, between takes when you have to yell it across the, you know, right. because of COVID, you know, so there's a lot of those kind of subtleties that I go into and, and there's, and there's also poems in there. There's uh, some of the, because I usually do a poem for opening night of slam dance and, uh, right. and there's things like that. So, uh, and illustrations, but also like the experiences I've had with more famous directors than me, like Christopher Nolan, Rooster Brothers and Lynn Shelton and, and also Robert Altman and, and John Carpenter and, 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 you know, some, some of those people that I've learned a lot of great lessons from. Well, you are subversive, although cheerful. Oh, well, there, yeah, there you go. That's, <laughs> that's why it's called The Cheerful Subversive Guide to Independent <laughs> Well, wherever fine books are sold, which is mostly Amazon. Beautiful. Okay, let's see. Speaking of 18 and a half, tell us about it. Sure. So 18 and a half is, is my new feature film, um, and it is a 1974-set Watergate thriller slash comedy that takes place, you know, right in the heart of, of the Watergate scandal. And it's about a, a young woman played by uh, Willa Fitzgerald, who's a, a transcriber in the Nixon White House, who gets a hold of the missing 18 and a half minute gap in uh-huh. the Nixon tape, which for many people who know or don't know, it was it was a critical time in the Watergate scandal where Nixon taped himself. But one of the tapes that he turned over was missing 18 and a half minutes, kind of speculative fiction. She gets a hold of the tape and wants to leak it to a reporter, and they run afoul of, of hippies, swingers, and other nefarious people trying to get the tape. It, it, it's the 18 and a half minutes that got him impeached, basically. And then, and then he resigned. But yeah, it was, it was really the turning point in the scandal. Who knew he would turn out to be the most liberal of the conservatives? I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, it, and we've got... You know, some great people in the film. Uh, Bruce Campbell is the voice of Nixon. Uh, we also have uh, John Cryer and, and Ted Ramey in voice roles. And um, and then the live-action people are Willa Fitzgerald, uh, John McGarrow, uh, Vaudi Curtis-Hall, Catherine Curtin, Richard Kind. Um, huh. The second film I did with Rich. Yeah. And uh, so it's a, it's, a, it's a great, fun cast. And we, um, we started shooting March 3rd, 2020. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, we <laughs> we shot... We shot 11 days, and we, it turned out we were the last film shooting in North America. And then we um, 
we shut down for COVID uh, with four days left to go, oh. and uh, and then six months later, we were when that once the kind of SAG and DGA protocols came up, um, we were able to go back and and shoot those last four days and get the film in the can, and um, and so we've been playing at what I call trough festivals. And trough festivals I define as festival any festival that can play live uh, between uh, in the troughs between COVID variant spikes. <laughs> so, in other words, between Delta and Omicron, there was about a two or three month gap where festivals could have um, you know live or hybrid editions uh, uh, reasonably safely. And so we and so we played it at about ten of those festivals, uh, including Woodstock, including the festival in Spain, one one in Brazil, and um, we won the Jerry Prize at the at the Tallgrass Festival in, in Wichita, and, and played Anchorage and St. Louis and all kinds of other fun places. And then now we're you know we're not playing any place this winter, uh, but then we have some more coming in the spring. Hopefully, a lot of festivals are planning March, April, May. They're hoping that Omicron will be will have subsided and will be in a new trough <laughs> between COVID spikes and uh, until you know I don't know what's next uh, the parallax variant or something. Uh, and then this summer, uh, and this is an exclusive. I'm going to give you. Uh, we you. are going to have a general release of the film starting uh, in late June. Excellent. Well, I, I can relate about the troughs uh, uh, because that was the only time my band could perform. <laughs> so yeah, I know exactly. what you mean, and we're waiting yeah. again. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the new normal. And, and that's why kind of the follow-up to that article I wrote in Variety is the question I think, I'm, I'm not the only one asking this, is that is Sundance going to change their date? In ah, the future, that was my next you question. Know? As a matter of fact, so yeah, I don't. I mean, look, I can't speak for them, but I, if I were them, I would be giving a real hard thought to, you know, what maybe moving forward we should be, you know, they should be in, in the spring or the fall, um, and uh, because honestly, it's like I said, even in a non-pandemic year, it's the height of flu season, you yeah. know. And when you bring, you have it's basically a big international conference that brings people with all kinds of viruses <laughs> to one to a uh, you know 8000 foot high ski resort and everyone always gets sick i mean we used to joke about people getting slambola you know when that was when we thought <laughs> right. that was funny but it was yeah. you know because literally every year people would get sick there and i know the city in park city would love it if if uh, sundance wasn't in at the height of ski season because people take uh, the film festival, Sundance and Slamance, you know, people are staying in condos, but they're not skiing. They're there for the film festival. Right. So I'm sure it would be better for everyone in Park City um, and cheaper for people going to the festival if it was in, you know, March or October or something. But if they did that, the interesting thing would be how would that shake up the rest of the festival season, right. the awards season? Not so much awards, but the, but other festivals, how would they react and move around and yeah. And I think it, you know, I think we need that kind of shakeup. Um, and as we speculate in the article, myself and some of the people I quote, is, you know, if Sundance doesn't do something like that, um, you know, then there's got to be some festival in the fall that either changes what their template is for what they're doing. So say if Toronto all of a sudden said, you know what, we're not going to pay attention to awards, we're going to pay attention to new films, or if yeah. another perfectly good festival like a Woodstock or Napa Valley or, you know, one of these fall festivals really kind of steps up their game and really says, you know what, we're going to be that fall discovery festival. So 
I think this is the time for everyone to look at that calendar and go, you know what, this is, there's a lot that isn't working now. Yeah, all re- kinds of reassess. Of course, the saddest part of that possibility, Dan, is uh, slam dance and Sundance without snowballs. Yeah, but even in March, I think they, they, there's still snow there, you know, uh, and, and you just throw mud at people, you know, I guess. <laughs> but, um, but no, I mean, the nice mm. thing about Park City is it's a beautiful place, like, year-round. Year yeah. The whole, yeah. I've never been in the summer, but I hear it's gorgeous in the summer, and, and there's, you know, mountain biking, all kinds of things like that. So it's a nice place to visit anytime. But the problem is it's just so expensive in the in the winter. And, you know, if I was Sundance and I was Sundance's insurer, you know, <laughs> whatever, I'd be like going, you know what, we canceled two years in a row and you just can't predict, you know, what's going to happen next yeah. year. And that, and that was kind of the gist of, of, of kind of our decision to start playing the fall festivals. Is Not that I could read the future any more than anyone else, but... I kind of knew, like, experienced filmmaker and someone who goes to Park City, like, there was a really good chance Sundance and Slam events were not going to happen live this year. Like, just yeah. epidemiologically speaking, like, it just wasn't, you know, it, it was certainly nothing that anyone could count on. And so, therefore, go where there is an audience, which was in the fall, there were festivals with audiences. Right. You know, and, and especially with our film, where it is a comedy, and honestly, I didn't even know what, how much of a comedy it was until we started showing it in front of a live audience. And they and laughed. people started laughing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you can't tell that you know, while you're editing, you can't tell that with an online festival. You, can, you know, I and mean, there's a lot of good things about being online and doing hybrid screenings, but, um, but there is something unique about screening a film in front of an audience. So I think the interesting thing is going to be for the late spring and summer festivals, hopefully you know, they, they will be live, is how many Sundance and Slamdance filmmakers are going to really try to get into those festivals in a way that it used to be like Sundance filmmaker, you know, especially if they already had distribution sometimes, oh, great, we'll go to Sundance, we'll have a big screening, get lots of press, and then we open in a theater in a month or two, and they wouldn't really go to other festivals as much. You know, or not all of them would. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I think all of them are going. Well, hang on a second. We didn't get a live screening. Well, now we got to go to other festivals. And I think that's really made um, some tough decisions. And, and Sundance has had some films pull out that aren't going to do the online stuff. You know, and really rethink some of that stuff. So I think it's going to be a nice boon for festivals that are in April and May because they're going to have their pick of those Sundance and Flamdance films. Right. Which, by the way, makes it harder for my film to get into those festivals. But um, oh, so well. be it. Yeah. Well, uh, so, and and I'm sure uh, the Sundance people are listening uh, to this uh, program. This program. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Dan Mervish, uh, co-founder of Sunday of the Slam Dance Film yeah. Festival. Don't worry, I'll cut that part out. Uh, the <laughs> Slam Dance Film Festival. He has a new movie uh, coming out called Eighteen and a Half. It's a thriller uh, comedy, dark comedy about the uh, Watergate situation and he has a great article uh, in uh, I think it was last uh, the the last variety on page six so yep. check that out and it's also on uh, online and variety.com and uh, that's about all I can think of Dan I know there's a million other things but uh, you know I think it's been 24 Four years, twenty-three years. We've had you on, and we yeah. sl- sorry we missed last year, but uh, well, we all know what happened. So, uh, yeah. So, best of luck, Dan, and uh, I mean, yeah, break a you. leg. Thank you, Rick. And uh, it's great, great talking to you again. And I'll see you online. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Rick. Bye.
That's it for this episode of Digital Village. You can hear us archived on kpfk.org. And digitalvillage.org. Thanks for listening to Digital Village. I'm Rick Allen. I'm Leilani Albano. And we'll see see you you online. online.